You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning, FMCC family! Happy Easter! I am Kara, and I am so excited to be here to worship our risen Lord with you this morning. I am going to read um, from Matthew 27, 57, all the way to the end of 28. (laughs) So here we go. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governors, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, welcome, welcome. Happy Easter. Now, I probably could let that go on forever. Hey, we're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, my name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're so excited. Man, God has done so much in the life of this young church. I mean, six years ago, about, we just passed our six-year anniversary, uh, the Lord um, had a few people getting together in our living room, um, and actually one of the families that actually helped found FMCC is here, the Moors, and they're in the back. They bring a whole crew with them. Normally, you guys cheer louder for yourselves, so, um, but... Man, like just, just what a wonderful uh, expression of what the Lord can do and the power of what he can move in. And this morning we get to celebrate Easter, the fact that Jesus is risen. And this morning uh, we got together with our girls. So one of the traditions that we talk about building a family culture in our house. And one of the traditions that we wanted to start was um, the night before Easter, we get our girls together and we sit them down and we have them write down their sins on pieces of paper because they're going to get an Easter basket in the morning, but we don't want it to be about the Easter basket or the candy or the stuff. We want it to be about Jesus. And so we have them write down their sins and put it. So like last night, there was a lot of like, like, okay, what are some of your sins? And they were like kicking, punching, and then they're like biting. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we got a very physical house. We have a house full of girls, but somehow it's all physical. Um, Will, hey, can you turn me down just a little bit? Um, and so uh, we're, we're in this... Uh, our house last night, they put their sins in their basket, and then this morning when they woke up, my wife had put a red blanket over the top of these baskets. Um, we say how that God has taken away all of our sins, but then he gives us blessings in our lives. And so I started this morning by talking about this red blanket. I said, this, this red blanket is, is the blood of Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. And my three-year-old hit the ground and just started screaming and crying, and I'm like, what is happening? And so I look, I'm like, what's going on? She's like, God's not dead. He's alive. And that is the lens of what we're celebrating today. And it's like, well, she's not wrong, right? Um, because that's, we're, we're not celebrating a dead God. We're not celebrating uh, the fact that Christ went to the cross. See, the Christ would have no power without the resurrection. And so we're here this morning talking about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and Easter has become this holiday. It's a world holiday. I mean, the whole world stops to celebrate Easter, but everybody kind of celebrates it differently, and they have different reasons why they celebrate it. I mean, you can trace some of the history and the historical uh, roots of Easter back to pagan holidays. And so we see that, uh, one, you've got the, the Jewish holidays of Passover that were just celebrated, all right, where uh, in, in Exodus 12, we see that uh, the Israelites were in the land of Egypt under captivity, and God told them to take uh, the blood of a, of a lamb and put it on their doorpost because the angel of death was going to come as the final plague and kill all the firstborn sons. And so they put this blood of the perfect lamb on their doorposts, and then the angel of death passes over them, and then they are freed from Egypt to go out and to be free from captivity. And so they're Passover, so that's what that season just came over. You've got these uh, cultures like Germany and Assyria and Babylon that worship these goddesses of spring and fertility, hence where we honey's from, right? Because they're so frisky and fertile. Um, and that's where we get the, the Easter eggs because they're a fertility. And, and then you can uh, look at 
uh, around 300 AD when, when Constantine enters onto the scene and in the Roman Empire and actually makes uh, Christianity the national religion and, and in a lot of ways legalizes Christianity because up until that point they're persecuted. And then he makes Easter an official holiday about a man named Jesus. And so we're looking at all these things and then we're coming here and, and today in our day and age, it could just mean a time off work or a time to spend with family or some good food. I think a lot of people eat ham on Easter. I don't know where that came from. Um, but, uh, you know, we celebrate in all different ways. Maybe it's about something bigger. About a man who lived the life that you and I couldn't live. One of holiness and perfection. And he came back to life. So what is it? What is this resurrection? Did it really happen? What would it mean if it were actually true? And so, this week as I was thinking through this and I was studying, I was ta- thinking about the resurrection. And, and this resurrection points to a real man named Jesus who was murdered on a cross, came back to life. And this isn't a fictitious story. This isn't a legend. We see this in history. And so, uh, even in our culture today, we have... Uh, like Time Magazine. I think that's a, a good source of cultural impact. Time Magazine, if you type in the most influential leaders of all time, would put Jesus as number one. He was a real man. It's not this figurative being like Hercules. He actually existed. One of the most significant people of all time. And if you don't believe Time Magazine because you don't read magazines, you think magazines are boo hockey or whatever you think, um, we all believe in Google, right? Because if you ever have a question, you're just going to type that in. Right? So go ahead. Right there. Typed in. Most influential leaders in history. Boom. This is what Google told me. So I know it's true because Google says it. Right? Number one, Jesus. So this isn't just from a Christian perspective. This is a world perspective. That this one man made the largest dent in the course of history. Our calendar literally changes after the course of his life. Think about that. So whether you believe in him or not, that does not change the fact that he actually existed. He actually impacted the world. And there are so many ancient writings that are not very kind to Jesus, that don't believe in Jesus or even like Jesus. But there are three in particular that speak about this man who these people believed was God and worshipped him as he was a God. And that he died, he was murdered. And then he was buried and then disappeared. And there is, there is no um, reason that has come out that actually makes sense of how that could have happened in that day and age. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew 27 and 28 because here's what I want to do. Um, if you have a Bible, grab it. I want you to open up. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles all along the aisles. We would love for you to hold the Word of God in, in your hands. I don't want you to believe what I'm saying. I want you to see what the Word of God is saying. If you have a phone, the YouVersion Bible app, if you just type into your app store, YouVersion Bible app, it's a great app to have on your phone. Because we can talk about if this is just legend or fabricated story, or really ask the question, did it really happen? I mean, when you're telling a story about an event, we all know that the details are important. I mean, you can, you can witness a crime or see a crime and then be called as a witness, and if you lie under oath, that's perjury. 
Like, you could spend time in jail. You could be persecuted if you're lying under oath. All of the people that actually experienced and saw a risen Jesus actually gave their lives up. Like, I, I talk to my girls about this all the time. Like, they will lie up until the point of a consequence. Right? So it'll be like, you know, one girl running out, holding her head. Oh, she hit me. It's like, did you hit her? No. Did you hit her? No. There's red marks on her face. Did you hit her? No. All right, now you're going to have to go. Okay, okay, maybe. Right? I think I was there, and I may have turned around. And as I was turning, I went like this with my arm. And maybe it hit her head or something. Right? That's, but when there's a consequent put forth, as a consequence, we usually end up telling at least some of the truth. They went to their death with this, hundreds of people, just in that short amount of time. If you're making up a lie, you don't usually make it up when you can actually fact check it in the moment and talk to the people that were involved. And that's what we're seeing in this story in Matthew 20 and 7, 28. This isn't a story of fabrication or legend because they wouldn't have put these details in here. Some of the details that are in here do not make sense if the story was made up. And here's why. Because if you look at this, first thing, Matthew 27, 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Here's what we have to know about this man. He was known, and, and he was, in, in some ways in that day and age, famous. He was a part of the, the Jewish council, Jewish Sanhedrin, which was kind of like a Jewish supreme court. So like for us in today's day and age, would be like Amy Coney Barrett, right? Like we know her, we know her face, we've seen her on the news. It was a real person that came in and that people knew in that day and age. And so he came and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shrewd. Then laid it in his own new tomb, which he cut from a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Not only him putting the body in there, but two others, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, were there sitting opposite the tomb. If you're going to make up a story, you're not going to start with burying the body in a known place, in a known tomb from a known person. So there really was this burial of this man who was just murdered on a cross. And then in verse 62 of chapter 27, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And then he's risen from the dead, and that fraud is going to be worse than the first one. So he sends this guard. The Romans secured this tomb, and in our day and age, this, we have a, a public figure right now, and I'm not going to take any political stance here. We have a public figure that's very controversial in Trump. And so there are some that love him and some that hate him. And if he made a statement like, I'm going to die, someone's going to murder me, but then I will raise again in three days. In our culture today, where he was buried, we would have camera crews. There would be people camping out. There would be people watching that thing like a hawk to figure out and see if what he said before he died was true. They send this Roman guard, and I, I don't know where to get this, like, you, you know the felt boards? Anybody remember the felt boards, like, growing up in church, and you had, like, the little figurines, if you, if you grew up? Like, I don't know where we get these two sleepy soldiers, like, kind of sitting off in the distance. 
The Roman guard was elite. They would usually be 16 well-armed, well-trained men, like Jack Bauer style. And they would be standing around and like guarding this thing. They sealed the tomb, this rock that was there. And they put this guard in front of it. In that day, if one of them would have fallen asleep in, in that day and age, they would have executed all 16 of them. So I guarantee you, Chris and I and Ben, a couple other guys are standing around this tomb, and he starts nodding off. I'm poking that joker. Like, they weren't fooling around. They weren't sitting there playing cards off to the side. Like, this was a big deal in that day and age. They were guarding the tomb. And then, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, talk about these two women who were the initial eyewitnesses to the tomb being empty. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that in verse 7 of, of chapter 28, then quickly um, Jesus, or this, this angel, speaks and says, go quickly and tell your disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going to go before you. Why would Jesus have revealed himself to these two women and let them be the first ones to be there? In that day and age, and I'm not saying this is good, and I'm not saying this is right or correct, but in that day and age, women had no voice and no vote. They could not go to court and give testimony of anything because it would be discounted because they were women. So why in the world, if you're trying to convince the world of a risen Savior, would you put your first witnesses as females? If you were fabricating this, it would have been Peter, James, and John. But instead, the eyewitnesses were women. That someone that the culture and the writers, Matthew, would have known that their testimony would have been invalid. Yet, they, by the grace and mercy and love of God, were the first to see that the tomb was empty. To go and tell the disciples who were in hiding. Come on, Bo. Come on, guys. Seriously, men are sitting there hiding. Women are going to the tomb. But they were hiding. And God revealed himself. These amazing women to go give testimony in a culture where their testimony meant nothing. You don't add that to a fabricated story. And then, in verse 11, we see that the Jews don't even try to deny the empty tomb. Look at verse 11. While they were going, so this is talking about the guards, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. The body was stolen in a, in a culture where this was super controversial. And after this happened, they're now having to go. What they're doing is, is they're pleading for their lives. They know that they're done. They let the body go. It's gone. And they don't know where it went. All they know is that they saw this, uh, this bolt strike of lightning kind of come down and this being that just laid them out as though they were dead. And now he's got to go like, hey, hey guys, listen. Like, we weren't sleeping. We weren't fooling around. Like, this is really what happened. So some of the guard go knowing that their lives are on the line. And the response wasn't, we're going to execute these 16 men because you did something wrong, but actually they tried to pay him off. Right? They went in, told all taken place, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, okay, now make up this story. Tell the people and his disciples they came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. Again, they would have been inviting judgment on themselves in this moment. They said, don't worry, if this comes to the governor's ears, we're going to satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they went as they were directed. Jews didn't try to deny the empty tomb at that time because the tomb was empty. And then, 
the witnesses that are watching this all unfold, the risen Jesus revealing himself, not only to the 12 disciples, not only to to Mary and Martha and and the women, but hundreds of people, hundreds of people seeing the risen Jesus, him revealing himself to them. What does it say? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, verse 16 of chapter 28, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You don't fabricate a story. Build a story with this huge ending that we just celebrated through song, that he has risen, and write in, some doubted. Uh, when I was uh, in college, I did an internship in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I was the youth leader, and some of the high school boys wanted to go on a canoeing trip, and so we jumped in a canoe and went down the Chattahoochee River uh, in Atlanta, and we found this rock surface, and we climbed up it, and we were going to do some rock jumping, and so we were jumping off different heights, but we found ourselves at the top of this cliff, and it was about 80 to 100 feet, and so it was set back a little bit, so you had to actually have a running start and run, and then jump out as far as you could to kind of get over the way the, the rock bent, and then there were these two trees that came out that you couldn't really jump up because you are going to hit the trees, so you kind of had to like jump out. Out, um, and then land in the water, and we were kind of assessing the situation. And there was this canoe that was coming by, and this older gentleman that had lived on the river yelled up. He's like, "Hey guys!" And it was him and his wife. And um, he's like, You're, "He's like, oh, it's so cool to see kids jumping from these rocks." He's like, "I lived here my whole life, and I'm glad to see people are reviving it." And uh, we we're like, "Yeah." And then he like stopped and he looked up. And he's like, "You're not gonna jump from there, are you?" And we were like, "Planning on it." He's like, man, there's so many rocks down here. Like, you, you're, you're never going to make it. You're going to hit the rocks. You can't jump out far enough with those trees. And we were like, oh, man. So we turn around to, like, start climbing back down. And one of the high school seniors turns around, runs, and jumps. And I freak out because I'm supposed to be the responsible one. Um, and so we're all looking, and he hits the water, and we're like, and then all of a sudden the kid pops up and is like, yeah! Instantly, the other two kids that were with me were off the cliff. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Awesome. I don't want to be the uncool youth leader that's not jumping. Um, and so I did. I jump, and I'm like, I, as you're like going through the air and a, a jump that high, like your ears start like whistling, and then you hit the water, and it's like hitting a rock. I mean, it just, it hurts. And, uh, and we come up, and man, the guy was like, he's freaking out, and he was loving it, and he was celebrating. But the woman in the canoe, she doubted that we, that we actually jumped. She didn't believe it. She was there watching it. Um, she doubted. The guy believed. I know that was a long story to get to that point. (laughs) You don't build an entire fabrication of a dead man coming to life to take the sins of the world and write in. But some doubted. Why? Because in our heart, in our sin, in our shame, in our guilt, we really struggle with believing that God loves us so much that he would send his son, his being, to be wrapped in flesh. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was the only time 
in all of eternity, something that we can't wrap our minds around, that there was ever a severance of relationship between God the Father and God the Son? He did that for you. You, 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 and me. You don't make this up. And have women be the eyewitnesses. And write in the real, true emotions and feelings of the people that are standing around watching this being ascend to heaven. And then what? Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, disciples, go therefore and share with others this good news to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what did they do? Grabbed their stuff and set out to tell every person that they came in contact with, every man, every woman, every child, that Jesus rose from the dead for you, for me, and gave up their lives. Literally went to their death with that good news. So what does this mean? If history and the Bible speak about Jesus and, and there's these stories of Jesus raising from the dead in the truth that we're seeing here, not in a fabricated form that's just all cupcakes and rainbows, but actually real, authentic writing and feeling, then what does this mean? See, Jesus, his death paid our debt of sin. This is what the Bible says. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, meaning that every single one of us in this room has a severed relationship with God because of the sin that dwells within us. And if you don't believe you're a sinner, I challenge you to look in the mirror. Because we know the stuff that goes on in our minds, in our hearts, and in our brains, and the stuff that we do, apart from what everybody else knows about us. We can conceal our own sin, but when we look at ourselves, we know what we do. All of us have sinned, and that sin has severed relationship between us and God. It has made us an enemy of God. But God, being rich in mercy, didn't leave us dead in our sin and our trespasses, but he made us alive together with Christ. By belief, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. You can't earn it can't work your way towards it, and we hate that because we're enamored by progress and performance. We love to be able to pull our boots to work and lose 10 pounds, and we love to have those stories. We don't like the fact that we can do nothing other than admit that we're nothing and that we're sinners and that we're enemies and receive a free gift that God has given us, which is the fullness of of life. Jesus' death paid our debt, but his resurrection secures the only true life and hope and rest we will ever 
experience. Here's what I mean by that. We all have this fabrication of life. We breathe, we walk, we talk, we go to the gym. Then we do things that, in some ways, satisfy us, fill us up. We go on vacation, we buy toys, we eat good food. All of that fulfillment, satisfaction, it's temporary. It's temporary. Think of the last really good meal you had. You still full on it? For your last vacation, are you still enjoying that fun time? Being here, having to go to work? (laughs) Mondays are coming. In Jesus, we will experience the only true life that we will ever know. This is eternal life, the Bible says. Life that when we die here on earth, we enter into heaven, a place where God exists in his fullness. And we get to experience the fullness of relationship with him, with no more pain, no more hurt, no more tears, no more crying, no more having to work oil, cut our lawns, manicure the landscaping, clean the house, change poopy diapers. We get to experience the fullness of everything that God has created for in him, in the fullness of relationship with him. In Jesus, we get the fullness of life. And hope, I mean, this world is full of false hope, right? We try to get our security and finances and in our relationships and in our status and in how many likes we get on social media, right? Going to a really cool mountain spot, taking a selfie, right? You only get seven likes and it just ruins your life. Maybe I should have did a duck face. Chris does the duck face a lot. It's all just false security because the likes are going to fade away. You're not going to be as cool as you are in a couple of years as you are now. Newsflash. Think of all the celebrities that we used to see. I mean, we were talking about the other day of like, where are these people? <laughs> like people that you watch growing up and people that you idolize and you're like, man, I don't even know if they exist anymore. It all fades away. The Bible says life is but a vapor. If we place our hope in the things of this world, it all just ends up in the trash. But in Jesus, in his rising from the dead, it places our hope in eternity and changes our perspective from what is temporary to what is eternal. And then, it gives us rest. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know about you, but especially coming out of this year that we've all experienced together. None of us have been aside from COVID and this pandemic and all that stuff. But life is full of problems and hurts and struggles. And those problems, hurts, and struggles, they, they manifest themselves in anxiety and fear and depression and lead us to addictions where we begin to try to find escapism in substances or things that we're doing or Netflix or all the other a million streaming things that are coming out now and you have to have them all because not one of them has them all. 
And so we just sit there for endless hours just trying to zone out from all of the stuff that scares us, brings us fear and anxiety. I didn't sleep for about a week after COVID first hit, thinking, is my family going to be okay? Is this going to turn into a zombie apocalypse? Like, am I going to need to go to the food and stock up on toilet paper? Right? So people freaked out because we didn't know what was to come. I couldn't sleep. Like, my appetite was low. Why? Because we're so scared of losing the kingdoms that we built here on earth. But we think we find some rest in those things, but it's not real rest. But God says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I... Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will give you rest. So all the hurt and the pain and the stuff that we hate just fades away in comparison to the beauty of who God is. And this and I look at my four girls, and I'm scared of what they're going to have to endure what they're going to have to experience as this world continues to unravel. And guess what? We are promised that it's going to unravel. But my trust is not in my ability to provide for them or protect them. My trust is in a God who has created them for such a time as this. And that he will hold them. And that he will keep them. He will protect them. And death with faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that death is not the end. That we will only experience the fullness of life when we get to be with our risen Savior, Jesus. And I know that there are people here today that do this. I know that there are people here today that don't believe it. I say that's just a bunch of garbage. And my heart and my prayer is that God will do what only God can do and woo you to help you realize and know that he does love you. Nothing you are experiencing in this life right now is, it's mean, none of it's meaningless. It's not. God will bring about all things for his glory and for our good. And in the moment when we're, my wife and I experienced miscarriage, it sucks. But God did things in our hearts and our minds to draw us closer to him and to his arms because he loves us. So if you're experiencing hurt, pain, addiction right now, Jesus says, come, lay it at my feet. Come to my throne of grace with confidence knowing that you will receive mercy and grace in your time of need. He is a good God. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And that is the good news of Easter. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for us? Father, in your life, death, and resurrection, you accomplished all things that we will ever need and solved every problem we will ever face 
And you have given us life. You have given us hope. You have given us rest. Not because we deserve it. Not because we did anything to to gain it. But merely because you created us and you love us. And right now, for every single person that is here, that is hearing your word, not mine's, not mine, yours, God, that they would place their faith and their hope and their trust in you and you alone. And that they would experience real life and real hope and real rest in this season. God, for all of us who are here today that are believers and that have placed our hope and our faith and our trust in you, God, like the witnesses that were there, if we are doubting, God, help our unbelief. But if we truly don't doubt and we know it's true and you have opened our hearts and our minds, that God, I pray we go out today. We're sharing meals with our family. As we're going to the store and buying stuff. As we are going to work in the next couple of days, God, I pray that we would take this good news and share it with every man, every woman, and every child that we come in contact with, Lord. Because we know that time is fleeting and life is but a vapor. And there are people in our lives that we love. There are people in our lives that we can be indifferent about. And even people in our lives that we would consider enemies or that we don't like. But you, God, have called us to share your good news with all of them. Because you, God, love them and desire a relationship with them. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to life again so that we may have life in you. God, keep our eyes fixed and focused on eternity and away from the temporary things of this world. God, give the dads in this room the wisdom and the discernment to lead our kids to you. Give the moms endurance and patience as they shepherd and love their children and continually remind them about how good you are. God, in our marriages, protect us, Father. We know that the adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is after our marriages. So God, if there's reconciliation that needs to happen in marriages today, let it happen for your name and for your glory. Give us confidence in you, God, no matter what the consequence, no matter what we're going to face. Give us confidence to proclaim your good news. God, we love you. We praise your name and your name alone. It is all about you.